Hello, uh, this is Lindy McDaniel, and welcome to Clubhouse Conversations. Every summer in Kansas City, 25 men have one simple mission, to win. Starting pitchers, corner power hitters, middle relievers, speedy gloves up the middle, closers, utility infielders, backup catchers, and they're each remembered here. From 1969 to last year, all Royals careers have been preserved with the most comprehensive collection of facts, memories, and stories in existence. Welcome to Clubhouse Conversation. And this is the place to be if you love Royals baseball. Your one-stop shop, although we don't sell anything, on Clubhouse Conversation. Just free chats with all your favorite current and former Royals players. It's Davo, and today we have got a good one for you. A dandy, if you will. In the form of Lindy McDaniel, a man who was an all-star who pitched in the big leagues at the young age of just 19. Lindy McDaniel, 21 different seasons he spent at the major league level, appearing in almost 1,000 games. Was a great pitcher for the Cubs, the Cardinals, the Giants, the Yankees, and the Royals as well. McDaniel, a guy that came over to KC in the controversial Lou Pinella and Ken Wright trade. And, of course, we'll talk all about that. We'll talk about Lindy growing up in Oklahoma, uh, playing basketball at OU, coming up through the Cardinals system, all the great players he played with, some great stories. I am very excited for this one. Lindy McDaniel from his home down in Texas joins us on Clubhouse Conversation. Lindy, first of all, thank you for some of your time. And second of all, how's everything going with you? Well, it's going pretty well. Uh, I'm, You know, I'm 79 years old. I don't know if my fans uh, know that or not, but... Uh, of course, I retired in '75, so that's a long time ago, right? Well, yeah. I mean, it depends what it depends what you're looking at, right? Comparatively, <laughs> right, right. So, so I'm I'm very active, and uh, I've been in good health, and so I've been really blessed along that line. So, what's keeping you busy in 2015? Uh, well, I still do a lot of religious work, uh, which is the main main thing I do, and. Then I go to, you know, different events. They have me come uh, representing baseball. So recently it's been uh, Bentonville, Arkansas, Parks and Recreation, dedicating a new park, Walmart. My son has been with Walmart for 30 years. So so they they had me there uh, last weekend, but we got rained out. And so it's rescheduled for uh, this weekend coming up. So... It'll be a lot of fun. Be a lot of young people there, and uh, I like to, uh, you know, get into the schools and things like that, and talk to the young people. So, uh, well, so let's go way back for you then. Uh, let's start from the start, kind of. So you grew up in a southwestern Oklahoma town called Hollis. Um, now, right. the, the name Lindy is. So did that come from Charles Lindbergh then? Yes, it did. I was four years old when my dad. Uh, I was. The name Lindell, L-Y-N-D-A-L-L, and he just started calling me nickname Lindy after Charles Lindbergh, and uh, so it just stuck with me over the years. So that that was my nickname. Better nick, you know, worse nicknames. <laughs> <laughs> <So>. Yeah, that's... <laughs> well, that's probably a good name to be stuck with. 
Yeah, there, there could be a lot worse for sure. Uh, so the Cardinals began scouting you then when you were 15 years old, is how I understand that, um, thanks to some of your achievements there at Arnett High School. So you were teammates with Eddie Fisher, uh, Tony Reisinger, and then also your older brother, Kerry, and younger brother, Vaughn, would go on to careers in pro baseball, obviously, as well. So, I mean, as far as your brothers went, you know, were you guys always playing baseball together growing up and always playing basketball and sports together? Well, Bonnie and I were closer together in age, so I didn't play with Kerry Don. He was the young. Kerry Don started actually uh, Little League and was quite outstanding. I didn't play organized ball until I was 15 years old. And, and so uh, what got me started was not uh, Arnett School, which is little country school, but uh, Altus American Legion Baseball. And that's where Tony Reisinger and Eddie Fisher and all those guys were. And so this is when I really got exposed to good uh, good coaching and uh, a good team. Uh, we had a good following. Uh, we made trips like to Little Rock, Arkansas, and St. Louis, Missouri. And so it was really a great situation for American Legion. Huh. So you... So you never played competitively till 15, and the Cardinals found you that quick, huh? I never was competitive ball until I was 15 years old, right? Wow. Yeah. That's a cool story. Um, now, you were also great at basketball, um, so you took a scholarship to play basketball at OU. So, you know, did you did you have a favorite sport? Was basketball more favorite than baseball growing up? Uh, no, it was always baseball and, uh, and always pitching, I think. Uh, so... Uh, but you had to do something in the wintertime, right? So, right. <laughs> so we only had two sports in, in that little high school, and it was basketball choices. And uh, so we had a we had some good players. Only had uh, I, I tell people I was in the top five of my graduating class because we only had five in my graduating <laughs> class. And uh, but two of us, which would be forty percent had uh, full scholarships in major universities, and so that was pretty good, you know, 40% of your class. Wow, that is. So I went to OU on full scholarship, and Raymond Gilbert, who was also a senior, he went to Oklahoma University on full scholarship, and so that was pretty neat, that little small school. Yeah. Well, 1955 then, the Cardinals and Fred Hahn would sign you to a contract. Now, I've been reading an article on Sabre.org about all this stuff, but so you originally wanted a career in the ministry, and you kind of put that on hold a little bit. I mean, obviously you kept doing that stuff throughout your baseball career, but was that a difficult choice for you to play baseball full-time? Uh, well, my mom was a little concerned about getting into the game and some of the what I'd be up against morally and everything. But I think when we made the trip to St. Louis when I was 16 years old, I got to meet Stan Musial and some of the Cardinals. And uh, it, it made an impression upon my mom, you know, that uh, this is a pretty nice guy, you know. And so, uh, yeah, when I when I got in the game, I wasn't headed for the ministry or anything like that. I, I was just a real good Bible student, and and I had Christian values. And, and so when I signed with the Cardinals, then they go to church on Sunday. Uh, I, I had no problem playing baseball on Sunday. I just had to go to church on Sunday. 
and uh, they guaranteed that that would happen. And it always happened with all the ball clubs that I was with. Yeah. That's good. And I and I think it's pretty neat that to you uh, during your career and even afterwards, you wrote that monthly newsletter called Pitching for the Master. So that was published originally from your church there in Baytown, Texas, how I understand it, and sent to other MLB players and families and congregation members and all that. I mean, how much, uh, how much fun was that and how gratifying was that for you to write like that? Well, it, it was, uh, this is something I wanted to do. I'm not sure all the players wanted to get it, <laughs> but uh, I a mailing list that wasn't uh, totally volunteer and by request only was I sent it to all the major league players, uh, uh, you know, so. And uh, I think, uh, and I, I didn't uh, bring in baseball too much and our current events too much, which I think I made a mistake. I, I, I probably should have done that a lot more with, with it. And, and use those illustrations, but uh, I stayed away from that because I was active player. I, I, I didn't want to, you know people to take offense or anything uh, by by using uh, anything that was current. So uh, of course, once I got out of baseball, then then I was able to to use a lot of illustrations uh, about life. Uh, drawn from real life baseball situations, you know. So over the years, I've done a lot of that. But at the time, I mean, it was strictly biblical stuff, <laughs> and so uh, it wasn't tied to baseball that closely with illustrations. And uh, it's hard to do a lot more illustrations from baseball. Yeah. Do you still uh, write that? Uh, yes, I do. Yeah, it, it's put out electronically now. Yeah. Huh. That's and, cool. Uh, so all people have to do is just go to my website, uh, lindymcdaniel.com, and then there's a button on the web website that takes you to the blog. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. I didn't know that. Okay. Um, so the Cardinals then, they paid you enough. They signed you where you had to immediately be placed on the big league roster then. So you made it to the big leagues when you were just 19 years old. Now, September 1955, you're in St. Louis. You mentioned uh, Stan the Man earlier. Guys like Red Shandies were up there. I mean, what do you remember about that first month in the big leagues in 1955 and playing with some of those great players? Well, of course, I'm a rookie, and, and, and you're kind of – you know, as as a rookie, you're kind of awed with the whole thing, right? And so, uh, it wasn't too long until Red Shandies was traded, and you know, I liked him really well. And uh, and Stan Musial, of course, I played with him seven years uh, with the Cardinals. He was a quiet leader. Uh, he, he was a great leader, but he was not uh, loud. You know, he was not loud. He did did not, did not make headlines or anything like that. Um, I don't think he ever argued with an umpire so far as a call pitch. Uh, so he was just a perfect gentleman, and uh, I, th- I think he led by what he did on the field, you know, and his uh, attitude. So, um, so it was a uh, there was a lot of great guys uh, with the Cardinals when when I first came up, and Ken Boyer and. Uh, all those guys. So, so it's pretty neat to be able to, to sign and 
actually uh, make the pitching staff and be used right away. So, so my rookie year, see, I got to pitch in '56 uh, quite a bit, and uh, so I got established real fast in the big leagues. Yeah, totally. Well, and there's a number of things. So 1955 to 1962, you're with St. Louis. I wanted to ask you about a few different things during those years. So first of all, your younger brother, Vaughn, uh, got signed to a contract with the Cardinals in 57. You guys got to play together in 57 and then briefly in 58. So how special was that for you and your family to be on the same team? Well, it was great to, uh, to play with Vaughn and, uh, you know, everything – I guess it got blown up really big because we're compared to the Dean brothers and and all that. So so you got the publicity end of it. But we did well that year and we almost won the pennant. Uh, Milwaukee uh, beat us at the end. And uh, and then Vaughn just. Uh, I will tell you this: when I came to the big leagues. Uh, I had a sinking fastball, and I threw three-quarter overhand delivery, and had a long stride, and uh, and I really drove toward the hitter hard, and I had a natural sinking fastball. Uh, two years after I quit playing basketball in the winter time, I lost my sinking fastball, and so in 1958 with the Cardinals, my fastball was just straight, and I was getting clobbered. And I think that happened to Bond, too, uh, by not keeping with a regular program of basketball base. And you may say, well, what does basketball have to do with baseball? Well, I think it has to do with shooting so many baskets, and your arm is kind of crooked. I couldn't even straighten my arm out. But that was great for my, my thinking basketball. It was a natural fast, a sinking fastball. But as soon as uh, I quit playing basketball, I could straighten my arm out, and my fastball straightened out as well. And, huh. and so it's, it's kind of an odd thing. Yeah, well, and, you, you learned the forkball then too, didn't you, around that time? Well, see, now, I made a conversion. I had to change my entire delivery in 1959 to straight overhand. Uh, with a, uh, a short stride rather than a long stride in an entirely different motion. And uh, I stayed in a pretty good groove for two years. Uh, in 59 and 60, and I led the league in relief pitching and had that really great year in 1960 uh, when I came up with the fart ball, uh, the, the split-fingered fastball, I guess they call it today. Yeah. Well, now you mentioned Vaughn, too. He did have some success, though, the two-hit shutout against the Brooklyn Dodgers. And speaking of the Brooklyn Dodgers, I wanted to ask you, I think you would have faced Jackie Robinson briefly. Do you have any memories of that when you first came up? Uh, yes, I do have memories of pitching against – that was his last year, you know, in 56, and uh, that was my first full season. And uh, so I did pitch against Jackie Robinson uh, in Brooklyn, and uh, – so, being so young, I don't remember a lot of the details of that, uh, you know, because uh, all the players were new to me at that time. And uh, but every everyone's pretty aware of Jackie Robinson, yeah. Yeah. 
Well, now a few more years with the Cardinals. So 1958, I wanted to ask you about. Pretty remarkable to me. You only pitched six games in the minor leagues your entire career, which is unheard of, obviously, today. And I grew up in Nebraska, so I spent uh, you know, a lot of time going to Omaha games growing up. So back then, Omaha was the Cardinals AAA. Do you have any uh, memories of Omaha in your brief times there? Yeah, in 1958, uh, my fastball quit sinking on me, and I was getting really clobbered. Uh, and uh, so I would, I would sit down for a while. I asked to go down, actually, to get some work. And uh, and so uh, I went down there, and I think I had a four-win-one-loss record or something like that, and it came up in about a month. You know, I was down there one month and came back to the Cardinals. And then in 59, uh, I was used kind of a spot, spot starter and not too successful. I was one win, four losses. And uh, that's when, in May of 1959, I asked to go to the bullpen and uh, and be a reliever because I, I, um, I thought that would be better for my career. And the same time... I went to the bullpen. Was the same time I converted to straight overhand pitching. I uh, shortened my stride, used an entirely different delivery, and uh, it was successful immediately. Uh, and I could get less. I could get ready in less than a minute huh. from from just being dead. So I never had to waste anything in the bullpen warming up. I mean, I could just get ready real fast. So. So I was uh, more temperamentally, I was more adapted to be a, a relief pitcher. And uh, so you're still there, right? Yeah, that, that's that's unheard of in less than a minute. That's awesome. You know, like yeah. what, seven, and, eight pitches? Uh, right. It, it didn't take me very long. I had uh, a natural delivery, and I could get loose real fast, and and I could get, get it up to high speed I was going to have, and uh, real fast. Huh. And it was easy on my arm, and so uh, I led the league that year, and I did that in about the three middle months, you know, and then I didn't pitch much toward the end of the season, and, uh, and that led into 1960 when I added the fart ball. And then I had to, I had a just perfect delivery, high kick, uh, no breakup of motion, and my speed was pretty fantastic. So, so that was the year that everything uh, was uh, all together. Yeah, well, you mentioned 1960. That was you were 12 and four. You had a 209. You led the league. Uh, ultimately with 27 saves. You were in the All-Star game that year as well. So what do you remember about uh, the All-Star game itself? Who were some of the great players in it, and what do you remember about that night? Well, there was, of course, uh, during during that period of time, 1960s, you still had uh, a lot of great players around, you know, uh, that were in the National League and American League. And, and so they had two games that year. They had one game in Kansas City and the other game in New York. And I got to pitch the one in New York, and uh, so so it was it was fantastic. In fact, I remember I had a, a baseball bat that was signed by all the players, and it got stolen somewhere along the line. So huh. so I so I didn't have it, but uh, 
Yeah, it was, uh, you know, really, really neat. Uh, they didn't select too many relief pitchers for all-star games in those days. Uh, they had to have one representative from every ball club, no matter what. And, and so that hurt me a little bit too. And then, uh, the fact that they didn't pick many relief pitchers, uh, to be in all-star games, but I, I got into that one. And so that was good. Yeah. Well, at the end of 62, the Cardinals trade you to the Cubs in a multiplayer trade. Now, the moment you found out you were getting traded, where were you at? How'd they tell you? And what were your emotions like, you know, being traded away from St. Louis? Well, I kind of expected it. I started having having mechanical problems in 61 and 62, and uh, I didn't blame the Cardinals because my delivery was really breaking up and I was just uh, not getting it together. And uh, so I, w- I learned it in, in December, and uh, I was home, and I'd been traded to the Cubs. And even had a sports writer ask me, uh, well, are you going to quit baseball? I mean, how can you go from the Cardinals to the Cubs, you know, and <laughs> and have your dignity? So <laughs> so anyway, uh, I said, no, no, I, my career's not over yet. And, and so... It was it was kind of interesting because I, I go to the Cubs and Larry Jackson and I both go to the Cubs and uh, and I lead the league again in relief pitching and wins and saves in that first year with the Cubs and I was especially hard on the Cardinals I think I pitched about twenty five innings against the Cardinals and picked up about three saves and three wins <laughs> and really kind of knocked them out of the Pennant that year, and they won the next year, 1964. The Cardinals won then. But Larry Jackson won 24 games for the Cubs, you know, the following year in 64. So it was a pretty good trade for the Cubs, you know. Yeah, I would say so, definitely. Now, you had some great teammates with the Cubs, obviously, Ernie Banks, Lou Brock for a while. One guy I wanted to ask you about, though, that pitched for the Royals later, and you were with him in the back of the bullpen in 1965, was Ted Abernathy. What kind of a man was Ted, and what was it like pitching with him? Uh, he was a nice man, you know, and uh, he had uh, he kind of down underneath, and uh, that was a good... Uh, delivery there to have in Chicago because home runs could fly out of there pretty fast and he kept the ball down and a lot of ground balls and so uh, he was a southern ball player and he's a very nice guy to be around and uh, so it was neat I had I had a great year that year too I think our ERAs were identical but I didn't get any safe situations. They they brought Ted in for the safe situations, and so I was using other situations. So. Well, what was it like playing with uh, Ernie Banks? Did he uh, did he rib you at all? Because didn't you give up his fifth Grand Slam your rookie year? You know that tied the record for the Cubs or whatever. Yeah, well, they, they uh, that was my first start uh, of my career uh, when I was with the Cardinals against the the Cubs and. Uh, 1955 in that September, but um, yeah, that didn't tell me. Uh, don't throw him a strike with your fastball. Uh, I learned that the hard way because uh, he hit it out of the ballpark with the bases loaded, and that was his fifth Grand Slam of the year, and there's still a record. Wow! Uh, 
and and so that's. But I got him out of my career when I pitched against him with fastballs, but they were about uh, eight inches inside, something like that. He couldn't quite lay off of that one, but uh, I never threw him a strike after that with a fastball. <laughs> so yeah, like that. So that's where you where you learn your hitters. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. What time? Yeah, because back then you yeah. guys didn't have any video back then, did you? No, I, I don't have any. See, if the Cardinals had taken pictures of me throwing in 1960, I might could have figured some some mechanical problems out. But uh, they did hire a man to come and and film the club, but he always left by the the sixth inning, <laughs> and so he didn't get one bit of my pitching in 1960. You know, when I was in my prime, uh, so. So that was a bit of a disappointment, uh, not to have any anything. Of course, today they take pictures of everything. Yeah, you know, and so you don't have that problem today. Now, overall, you know, your favorite memories of pitching there at Wrigley Field with the Cubs. When you think back, what what are your favorite memories? Well, I guess the, the thing that most people remember is uh, in June the sixth, nineteen sixty three. Uh, you know, when uh, I came in relief against the Giants, and the Giants had come into town with a four-game lead in in the National League, and the Cubs were in second place, of all things. And so we beat them in game one, game two, game three. This is game four on Sunday afternoon. And uh, if we win this game, we, we tied for first place uh, in the National League. and And so... Uh, I think I've already, already saved one game in that series, and then I, I came in, I relieved Dick Ellsworth in the 10th inning, in the top of the 10th inning, and the bases were loaded and uh, one out. And the first thing that happened when I got to the mound, we, we Andre Rogers, shortstop, set up a, a pickoff play on Willie Mays at second. Willie Mays was at second as a runner. And uh, we picked him off. So so that was the second out. Huh. And the third out, I think Ed Bailey was the hitter. I struck him out on three uh, fart balls, uh, split-fingered fastballs. And uh, and then I was a leadoff hitter in the, the bottom of the 10th inning, and I hit a home run off Billy Pierce. So, so and, uh, and that was the game. What, was that your only walk-off hit during your career? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> that's cool. I didn't know that story. That's right. great. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's wrong. <laughs> well, uh, so after 1965, the Cubs trade you then to the Giants. So, you know, were you surprised right. by that one or expecting that one? Oh, I wasn't too surprised. Uh, I think Leo DeRoche, I'd, I'd actually be traded already because I, I thought the Cubs were just, you know, you lose three or four games in a row, and they're singing on the bus, and and I just thought it was a country club atmosphere, and I was used to Cardinals and you know the competition and winning, and uh, so I did ask to be traded, and about that time they got Leo DeRocher. I, I guess they took me seriously about the atmosphere of the ball club because he was really going to change it, and when he came to the Cubs, but. But his first deal was to to trade me, and uh, he did get quite a bit for me uh, with the Giants, and uh, and so 
uh, I went to the Giants, you know. And I know that uh, Willie Mays and Willie McCovey were both quoted as saying, you know, we're thrilled to have him. We don't have to face that guy anymore. We hate facing him. I mean, what, 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 kind, yeah. of, what kind of teammates were they? Well, what, Willie McCovey never got a loud crack off of me. I struck him out every time I faced him. <laughs> but Ernie Banks, um, but uh, Willie Mays hit eight home runs off of me. He reminded me when I got over there, you know, that he's hit eight home runs off of me. So. Oh, my gosh. The only thing uh, I said, well, how many men were on base when you hit them? Uh, of course, nobody was on base <laughs> except for two, two games. There was one runner on base. So, anyway, I had to get back at him a little bit, but, you know, that's, that's a lot of home runs to hit. Yeah, for sure. And then 1966. Yeah. Uh, so, 66, you had 20 and two-thirds scoreless streaks um, of innings. And then as a team, you guys got eliminated from the playoffs you know, the very last day of the season. So, how heartbreaking was that for you, missing the playoffs that last day of 66? Well, it was uh, – I don't want to go into details here, but the Giants blew it. The manager blew it because he didn't use me right at the end of the season, and we blew three games. Uh, against the uh, Dodgers and uh, one against the Cardinals. And we had a little confrontation <laughs> after that. And uh, we lost the pennant, I think, by a game and a half, something like that. So it it, it was a very big disappointment to me. Uh, and I think the way it happened is a big disappointment to me. Uh, but... If I write a book, I guess I'll mention some of those details in it. But uh, you have to realize, I don't know if you do realize, that the relief pitcher's success is totally dependent on the manager and how he uses you and what he knows about you and can he does he use you properly. And uh, the only manager that I was ever under that really – knew me really well was Ralph Houck with the Yankees. And that's why I had those great years with the Yankees. Well, yeah, you you did. So, 1968 to 1973. So, I mean, you were pretty excited to go over there then? Uh, yes, I was I was trying to get out of uh, San Francisco in the worst way, that's for sure. And, <laughs> and so um, when I went to the Yankees in 68, well, let's look at it this way. My ERA was, was 7.74, something like that, with the Giants. It went to 1.6 with the Yankees. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, and a lot of that is because uh, I was getting buried uh, because I had to confront the manager and, and kind of showed him up uh, with, what happened in 1966 at the end of the season, and uh, I should have asked to be traded uh, when the season was over, and I didn't. I should have, and he tried to bury my career, and he almost did. I'll just give you an example that I would volunteer to throw batting practice, Mm -hmm. and I would throw uh, all these... Uh, pitches in batting practice, and guess who got into the game that night? It would be me. Right. <laughs> right. And and he had me to the point that no team in the league wanted me. And uh, so I was fortunate to go to the Yankees, and things just worked out 
great. Then once I got to the Yankees and uh, they gave me a really good uh, shot, good chance, and it just things clicked with the Yankees. And so uh, the rest of that is history. Yeah, well, I mean, some more great teammates there. You're, I guess, one year you played with Mickey Mantle. What was it like playing with the Mick? Yeah, well, that's great. Of course, that was the end of his career, 1968. And, uh, you know, uh, we're both from Oklahoma, and uh, we're both in the Oklahoma Hall of Fame. So so it was great just to be in the Hall of Fame with him in Oklahoma. And, uh, and Oklahoma has produced Ollie, Adley Reynolds and, uh, you know, quite a few Yankees. And, and so and Mickey Mantle. And... Uh, so he was, he was just a, a great hitter, and and no no doubt because of injuries and things like that, he had a shortened career. But uh, you know, quite a player. Yeah, yeah. You also played with a, a guy very important to Royals Nation, and that's Dick Hauser. You played with him, I think, just one year there. And did you get to know Dick at all? Yeah, Dick Hauser is a very nice man. Yeah, he's he's a he's he's a real gentleman and. Uh, he really, uh, really treats you good. Um, of course, I, I, I like the managers that that treat the players like grown-ups and uh, doesn't feel like they have to make this big speech in the clubhouse ever so often about how bad they play, like drunken sailors and blah blah blah. <laughs> and, and so, so, so when you get a manager that that really treat you decently i think it makes a big difference yeah yeah totally well so after 1973 you're 37 years old now this is what i read in an article that said that you wanted to be closer to home then and wanted a two-year contract and the yankees didn't want to give that to you and then so Correct. the royals made the trade for you in the winter of 73 is that is that how that went down well uh let me just tell you this that uh i got to i i gave the Yankees, uh, f- four clubs that I would not mind being traded to, but I wanted to talk to, to the general manager and make sure that we're on the same page and they're going to use me, you know. And so uh, the name that came up was the Kansas City Royals, and so I, I talked to Cedric Tallis. Cedric Tallis was the general manager. And so I thought, well, you know, uh, I was satisfied with the conversation. Oh yeah, we want you, and we'll use you, and, and uh, because I was really used uh, a whole lot with the Yankees, and uh, I didn't want to go to a situation where I'm not going to be uh, used properly. It wouldn't be good for me, me or them either, you know. And so, so I was guaranteed. Uh, well, the way it turned out. Uh, I was traded for Lupinella, which was the big hero in Kansas City. So the fans didn't like that too well in Kansas City. And Cedric Tallis was Lupinella's close friend, and so they both went to the Yankees. And I was in no man's land, to tell you the truth, uh, because I wasn't traded because they wanted me. I was traded because the manager wanted to get rid of Lupinella, Anyway, I'm giving you some inside information here I probably shouldn't give you. but uh, No, it's great. But it, it, it's just, uh, it was not a good match for my career at all. And and so uh, 
what I should have done is gone to the Cardinals. I mean, they're the ones that really, I think, would have uh, wanted uh, and used me correctly. So, Yeah. Well, so you did play against the Royals for several years with the Yankees. You know, playing against the Royals, what were they like back in that era? You know, some of the guys they had back then. Well, they were a young ball club then. Of course, they uh, they were a, a new franchise that that came in there, and uh, and they had, uh, of course, uh, Amos Otis, and and they had um, Freddie Pontiac, and they had some good players, you know. But uh, it took a while for them to really put it together, uh, put their ball club together, so they had they had really a really good team. And of course, George Brett came along and, uh, and Leonard and, uh, they had Steve Busby, of course, and, and Paul Spinoff. And, and, and they were able to put together a real good ball club. Yeah. Now, who were some of the, were there some players on the Royals that you became friends with that you were kind of close with some of your teammates? Well, I was wanting to go to the Royals. One one reason uh, is, is I can't even think right now. Um, it, the, the name will come to me in, in, in just a minute. But um, Freddie Pontek and I became very close friends. We're we're still close friends today, um, and we keep in uh, contact all the time. Yeah, Freddie's a good guy. Um, yeah. So your last Gail Hopkins. Gail Hopkins was one. Oh. Gail Hopkins. Uh, and I was with him in spring training uh, when I joined the Royals, and then he they would re-sign him, and so he went to Japan, and uh, so it didn't work out uh, that way. I think I did become the player rep for the Royals uh, the two years I was with him, and. Um, so that was kind of neat uh, to be able to represent them. and But it, it didn't work out good for my career because I just was not used, um, you know, properly at all. And I was, I was glad that uh, that Garber was able to be traded, and uh, he had a great career and with other clubs as a relief pitcher, so it worked out okay for him. Definitely did. Uh, I actually spoke with Gail Hopkins recently. He's a, a neat man. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, we've, we've been friends over the years, and I talk to him every now and then. Mm-hmm. Smart man, too. Um, so your last year in the big leagues is 1975. You're 39 years old. I mean, at, at what point did you decide 75 would be your last year? Was that before the year, in the middle of the year, or, or you know, after, or what? Well, I'm going to tell you the truth. I got tired of the politics of the game. And I was just uh, tired of what was going on, and I think I re- retired prematurely. I really do. Uh, I shouldn't have retired at that point. And a lot of players, like Hal McRae, said, why in the world are you retiring? And, uh, but I was just, uh, I guess I was to the point I didn't want to put up with the nonsense. I wanted to go where... Uh, you know, I would be used properly, and and I guess I was just kind of down. Yeah, Dean Vogelar did. He was a great uh, PR man, mm-hmm. and 
and uh, a good friend of mine. And uh, and he did a lot of good things for me, publicity-wise, and everything with the royals. And so it wasn't all just a, a bad deal, but uh, it, it was just not the best thing for my career because I went to the royals expecting to be used. I bought a house in January because I wanted my family to be with me. And uh, and so that was all set up, and I'm going to do good with the Royals, and so it just uh, didn't turn out that way. So so it was that was that part was a big disappointment to me. Uh, it's just that we want a good mix, you know. And I'm not saying we should have been a good mix. I just thought I was going somewhere where it would have been. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and it it. Uh, I was thrown a big curveball, mainly by the Yankees and mainly by Steinbrenner, because they knew what was going to happen. They knew Cedric Tallis was going to come to the Yankees, and uh, and they knew the inside dope. Uh, there's, I don't have any doubt about that, but they let me go anyway. So, so I I, I would blame the Yankees more than I would uh, even the Royals. So. Did uh, was that was that astroturf tough on you too? Being a ground ball pitcher here that they had back then. Uh, what was that now? Was the was the turf that we had here? Was that tough on you back then too? Being a ground ball pitcher. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. They had the astroturf, although they had the best ground crew in baseball probably, and I think that was a big mistake. <laughs> yeah, I agree. To that, so uh, it was hard on legs and everything, you know, running and. So, yeah. Well, the last couple of questions for you, I guess, you know, the city of Kansas City, did you have a nice church here? And, and did you enjoy your time, the city itself here while you were here? I guess I did. Uh, yeah, I had a good relationship uh, there. Uh, we worshiped at what we call Hickman Mills, Hickman Mills Church of Christ. Uh-huh. And, uh, and then uh, I went into full-time preaching uh, in uh, Blue Springs, and was there about eight years, uh, a congregation there in Blue Springs. And so we, we stayed in Kansas City a long time and uh, made a lot of friends. And so it was, uh, it was, it was good, good from that point of view, you know, that it, I, I stayed there after my career was over and, uh, and did what uh, I really wanted to do, my, kind of my lifetime work. And so... So that was good. Yeah, that's great. Well, we want to thank you for all your time. And I guess last question for you is, you know, in summary, what would you like to say to Royals fans listening right now? Well, I, I think, uh, you know, Kansas City has been a great baseball town uh, because, uh, you know, they, they've done all kinds of records in attendance there for a, a good while. And uh, they draw from such a, a large area of fans so it's it's pretty neat, you know, that uh, the Kansas City fans uh, they they just love Lou Pinella and they didn't like me too well <laughs> because I took Lou Pinella's place, you know. But but that was one of those things. Yeah. And uh, no, I, I and the, the team is off to a good start. I understand, and uh, and I wish them a lot of luck. Yeah, I have a lot of friends all over Kansas City, so it's. It's uh, I have a lot of connections there. Of course, uh, 
Patty Pontac is still there, and Jerry, his wife, and and I know a lot of the people there, Hickman Mills, and uh, different churches. So, so it's 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 good. And I, uh, you know, you've asked me questions today, and I've been honest with you. Uh, probably have said some things that I haven't even ever said, uh, you know, publicly too much, you know. Yeah. Well, about some of the inside stuff, and uh, so anyway, just. I have to take that with a grain of salt. Yeah, well, I mean, I appreciate your time so much. And, you know, my dad grew up watching you pitch, so he's always told me, you know, great memories. And I know you're definitely not remembered in a bad way here. A lot of people were glad that you finished your career with the Royals and we had you and, you know, a man of great integrity and everything. So it's, it's been a real pleasure talking to you, and I thank you for all your time and for all the memories you gave to the organization and, and wish you well. Yeah, thank you. I, I I mentioned one thing. They pitched me against the Oakland A's, you know, and I pitched the one hitter when I was with the Royals. Oh yeah, I read about and that so, actually. So that was kind of neat because uh, they were the big rivals uh, of Kansas City, the Oakland A's, and so uh, I, I enjoyed that a lot. So yeah, I think I think after this year they still are. So that's that's a that's a rivalry yeah. alive and well. <laughs> right. Yep. It's been around a long time, yeah. and Penn City has a, a great history of, of of the the Monarchs and you know the the, the Black Leagues and everything like that. And so, Penn uh, City has a lot of great history behind it. Yeah, well, we were you know we're glad you're part of it too. So you know, I hope you I hope you don't think people don't like you here because we like you a lot here. Oh, I, I know a lot of people do. It, it was just <laughs> it was just. My first appearance in uh, back in New York, I got a standing ovation from all the fans. And I remember in Kansas City, they were booing me every time I would come in <laughs> because I was traded for Lupinella. <laughs> yeah, guilty by association. <laughs> guilty by association. I, I, I think they got to appreciate me a little bit more, you know, t- uh, toward the end. But Yeah, well, it's fun to think back. Well, well thanks again, and God bless you. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, take care. Okay, thank you, Dave.